Hello and welcome to the PhD Life Raft podcast. I'm Emma Brzezinski and today I am talking to the awesome Lanisha Adams. We are talking about Lanisha's reflections on her own journey and, and, and particularly on a, on a difficult PhD defence process um, and then her development and her ideas about empowerment and uh, her notion of what she calls me power. Uh, strong stuff. Um and if you wanted to hear more from Lanisha, she is one of the speakers at the PhD Life Raft Symposium, which is happening from the 7th to the 11th of November 2022. Um, I see it really as an extension of the podcast. I love the podcast, but the one thing that makes me sad is that I get to talk and ask lots of questions of these amazing people, but um, the listeners don't. And so the, in the symposium, it's an opportunity to be there live in the sessions and to have your questions answered. Um, and we've got so many awesome people. Uh, it's all free and you can sign up. Um, there will be a link in the show notes for you to um, sign up and join us. It'd be so gorgeous to see you there. Um, but meanwhile, I really hope that you enjoy this episode. Hello, Lanisha. Hey there. Oh, I'm so I'm so excited to um, finally be meeting you. Done a bit of emailing, um, and I've, I just I love the work you do, and I was like, oh, how nice! I'm gonna just be able to get to know you a little bit. Um, so this is this is nice for me, <laughs> but, <laughs> I, but hopefully, I well not hopefully. I know it's going to be because your work is so awesome. I know it's going to be really help, helpful for lots of people. Um, and thinking about empowerment and all that good stuff. Um, so thank you, thank you for thank you for what you're doing, and thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. What an honor. Um, we've just been discussing um, Preston and Lancashire. Because um, you came over to visit, <laughs> um, and I was I was in the same bit of the country, but we never saw each other. Um, but um, but now now we're here. Well, we're not here together, but we um, we focused on this work with um, around education and what, and the kind of politics of education and what that means for people within education. Um, but before we get into that. Um, I, I'm going to ask the same as I ask everybody, but just tell us a little bit about yourself um, and your own journey kind of into up to and into the PhD and beyond. Absolutely. So I'll start my journey with this idea that I, at the age of 13, I wanted to be uh, an architect and I thought, oh, I'll design really cool buildings. I'll know exactly how to go about this. And then um, my ability to draw and to sketch and to do some of the basic tasks that architects do um, did not come easily to me. Mm -hmm. My mom would take me to the library and she was very particular, like, oh, you want to do this? OK, you have the skill to do this. So let's find out, you know, what what 
kinds of skills architects need. She's not very well educated, but she was smart enough to figure out like, hey, you should have skill in this area if you're going to pursue this. So I figured out I did not have the aptitude for that, but I love, Mm. I started reading very early. I love languages. And then um, I was asking the librarians, like, what are, what's the science of, of language, you know, because I know, I didn't know that you could get a job reading, writing, thinking, and doing all of that. I didn't, I didn't know that that would be my path. (laughs) So I really, um, I started reading Chomsky when I was in in middle school and just decided, (laughs) (laughs) it was kind of wild. wild. I I decided that you know, there has to be, because um, where I'm from, right, in Southern California, I grew up um, immersed in Spanish and the surrounding community. Um, My mom is African-American with a lot of mix, and my dad is from Western Samoa. So uh, my family, you know, speaks uh, Samoan as a a language. And then there's the Spanish we were immersed in in Southern California being um, my, some of my best friends being Persian and Armenian, so that we have Farsi, we have Armenian as languages, and a bunch of other languages in the area, right? So I was right. thinking, man, this is really, that'd be really cool to study and really learn what that's about. And so that really started my journey, um, thinking I would pursue a doctorate because I wanted to be a professor of language uh, and not yeah. just like teaching a foreign language or English, but teaching lang- about language, the so- social uh, and cultural components of that. And so that's what started me on my journey. Amazing. Amazing. And then how was it? How, how was that journey? <laughs> so it progressed? Oh, what a really wild ride, right? Like I think about it and um, when we talk about, okay, well, you know, you have a career idea that you want, so I, I always wanted to be a professor. Along the journey, I realized, oh, I don't want to do that job. Uh, <laughs> not full time. <laughs> and not not in the context of labor in America, right. uh, in the right. academic market. I don't right. think that's for me. Right. But, uh, but I really, uh, throughout the journey anyway, I really was able to use the um, context of higher ed to pursue my own interests. And I think that's the beauty of it. Mm. And even within the discipline, right, of linguistics, applied linguistics. And then when I was getting the doctorate from the University of New Mexico, I studied language, literacy, and sociocultural studies. So super interdisciplinary, Mm. very much all of the things that I really love. And I was able to focus in on um, teacher professional development of uh, in the high school level and like policy factors that shape what what that professional development looks like for teachers in right. a mandatory kind of way. And right. so it, it was a beautiful journey. I was able to work on really cool projects that were funded by the U.S. Department of Ed. I also worked for the state legislature because I was doing a lot of education policy work. Mm, mm. And that really made it come to life in a way, you know, I'm reading about how it works. I'm reading the law, I'm reading the policies. But then when you see how it plays out, it really gives you a different sense. And so the journey was beautiful until the very end of that journey. Mm. (laughs) That's when I really had the trouble. (laughs) That's when I really had the trouble. Come on, tell us, tell us. We're all friends here. Come on. Man, man. All right. So I know a lot of people don't talk about this. I mean, we, you know, on the podcast, we talk about 
I hear you always discussing struggles, discussing yeah. ways to get through and navigate. And really, you know, sometimes when you're on that raft, yeah. you don't want to fall out. I right. mean, this is the thing you don't. Yeah. So yeah. the thing that happened to me was that I got to the dissertation defense and there were a lot of red flags that were ignored because I did not have the most aggressive chair wrangling the committee members. Right. Mm -hmm. So uh, I was kind of just navigating on my own. And then I get into the dissertation defense. I have like a lot of audience members. My uh, mother and father-in-law were there. And then I did the defense. They asked me all these questions. I leave the room and they deliberated for about 45 minutes. Now, usually that does not happen. No. You do your defense. They deliberate for 10 or 15 minutes. They come back in. They congratulate you. They shake your hand. Oh, congratulations, Dr. So-and-so, right? Mm -hmm. So when my dissertation chair came out of the room and said to me, hey, look, you're not going to be able to pass go. You're not going to be able to collect $200 a Monopoly reference. I was just like flabbergasted because I said, well, what am I supposed to do? And he said, don't say anything. Just listen to what they have to say and you'll just do what they need you to do uh, like a checklist. And so I said, okay, great. So we go back in there and the committee, they really love my presentation and they felt like the way I wrote my dissertation was like a report. And they wanted me to rewrite it, but they didn't tell me that. They told me they just wanted me to change some parts of it. Well, um, five months later, it really became a rewriting of an entire, you know, 181 page dissertation, um, re really kind of reconstructing it. Mm. And that was a very painful process uh, at that time in my life. Oh, I am so sorry to hear that story. But I'm, I'm, what I'm interested in is that you kind of the, the the semantics of this this academic code that says we just want you to do you know just some little changes because that is that's, they would say that so much and actually what they're mm -hmm. really talking about is this radical re rewrite and like you said had they said that maybe you could have received it differently or maybe not. I mean, I think people do it to be kind, don't they, in terms of, well, it's just a few changes we're looking at. And then actually it's like, blimey, this is, this is big. And to go away with that on your own, that's tough. Yeah. And, and actually the process as it's supposed to work is if the committee doesn't think that you're ready to finish, you know, they need to not, allow you to get to that point. It's kind of like this yeah. unspoken code yeah. that once the committee agrees that you should defend, then that means that they're ready. They're yeah. satisfied. They're sufficiently yeah. satisfied. And any other changes are just minor, you know, yeah. and it is true. So there was a little bit of um, yeah. a shenanigans happening on that committee because of interpersonal dynamics that I was not privy to. Right. Um, and I, I learned the hard way, you know, you hear these horror stories Unfortunately, I'm one of the statistics. I find myself in this very odd range of being a statistic. Um, sometimes that's good and other times it's not so great. <laughs> no, no. And as you say, actually, that that you that's why that's the big job for we in the UK. We have the, the kind of the supervisor and advisor in the US. It's the committee to look at the work and to monitor the work. And it's it's to help to help to say well it's a difficult one because mm -hmm. ultimately you're writing for in the UK writing for your examiners but 
in the US, that's more blurred, isn't it? And so this sense mm-hmm. of, are you happy with the work? Are you happy with this work? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I really struggled with that. But how I was able to get through was by um, shutting down all aspects of my life. I mean, I had gotten married. So I defended my dissertation, got married, moved from New Mexico, where I was, to Washington, D.C., to start a new life and wow. start a new job. And I ended up, um, I did the fellowship in the summer and then I ended up declining a full-time position so that I could focus on the task at hand, which was um, one of the more insurmountable things at that point in my life, because I didn't know what it would mean to have to track down the committee members. I had five to track them down, to get what I needed from them across the time zones. And I couldn't fly back and forth. Um, you know, so I had to do it remotely uh, in 2014 when this was happening. And it was just, it was a very stressful time, but I was able to get manage um, with the help of a really strong community of friends and really uh, a dissertation coach and a community of writers. So that way I could have a, some kind of virtual space to tap into to really help keep me moving the needle little by little as I was mm. deteriorating uh, emotionally. Yeah. During, yeah. yeah. Which makes absolute sense because I think it's also, um, it's the first thing to say, big shout out to those friends. <laughs> They these when you need your people, you need your people mm-hmm. in those moments, and I, I think it's it's not surprising that it was a kind of an, an an extra emotional kind of experience, is it? Because you're so tired by the time you get to that point as well. By the mm-hmm. time you get to that submission point and that defence point, you've put in a lot of effort, and as mm-hmm. you say, you've got a life ready to go into. Mm-hmm. But you did it. But you did it. Yes. That's in the rear view now. <laughs> that 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 is a real achievement, and I think just to kind of to put that out there for people, if you if they are finding themselves in an, in a tricky moment, that it will pass, and that it it is it is doable. Getting those resources in place, um, as you did, you're clearly a very resourceful person, and you found what you needed, um. Which brings us on to, do you see what I did there? I'm so good. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed you are. <laughs> no, I wish I was. Um, right. No, so, because what we're talking about here now is this sense of empowering yourself. And you have you, you have this um, uh, idea of me power. And I'd love you to talk to us more about that, this sense of having more power than you think you have. Um, so I'm just going to just talk to us. Tell us. Tell us about this. Yeah, absolutely. And I love how we start there because because actually self-empowerment, you know, I really think this notion, I pretty much took the word empower, which is mm-hmm. a transitive verb, and I took the prefix of that, reversed it, in- inverted it mm-hmm. to focus on the first part, which is me mm-hmm. as a center of of everything that we do mm-hmm. and you know some people were i was having an argument with someone um just last week about this idea of me 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 and how it can be perceived as self-absorption where uh you know you're you're so focused on that part 
and even the, the linguistically to, to do that to this word, to change the concept. And I said, you know, I think that self-absorption, yes, is, is a philosophy of me first and only. Whereas if you're self-first, it's always in relationship to others. It's always in relationship to others. Mm. And that is a very different kind of concept. You know, we, we talk about uh, self-love and self-care and how I, I see a lot of this online and how people have to advocate for uh, their self and like how, hey, it's okay that I take care of myself and it's not selfish, like as if it's bad that you actually are going to focus on yourself. Yes. I think we really do a disservice to kind of dichotomize that, but that's fine. You know, I think one way we can address it is by thinking, look, self, when I'm focused on self first, it, I'm always thinking about the people that I'm relating to, who's mm -hmm. part of my community, who do mm -hmm. I have to take care of, who, what kind of, I have children. When you're on the plane, you have to put your mask on first before you help take care of others. I mean, it's that kind of concept. It's yeah. that kind of metaphor, right? Yeah. So yeah. Um, I think we, when I talk about empowerment and self-empowerment, it's always in relationship to, it's always in relationship with. And I feel very strongly that you cannot express me power without some sense of we or community, right? Nothing in this world that we do as humans is ever truly alone, at least not true accomplishments, no skyscrapers, no buildings. I talked about wanting to be an architecture. Yes. All of that requires a collective of some kind, community of some kind, yes. working together, belongingness. And that's very important to the concept. I know it, it's very um, kumbaya-ish, but I, I, no, it's I so that. important to the concept. It's so important yeah. before I go on into more details about it. But I, I wanted yeah. to start there. No, I love so, it. So key, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, it, you know, so maybe it does feel counterintuitive, but you know that, you know, it's the, it's the energy thing as well, isn't it? <clears throat> if you mm -hmm. haven't got anything to give, you just you just literally can't give anything to anybody else. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it's that, it, yeah, I, I, I totally, totally get that. And this sense mm -hmm. of that, yeah, absolutely not selfish. It is about um, bringing, bringing the best energy you can to the situation. That's absolutely right. So I think of this uh, me power, empower is me power. But then what is that? So I have like this formula of, um, where I I think of it as knowledge of oneself, in re, right? In, to, in relationship to oneself and to others and the actions that we take in a principled manner. And there are about five that I break down. And that's what constitutes me power. So if we think about it as a framework, um, you know, we, it's, it's about practicing one's principles in these areas, embracing your barriers, focusing on your strengths, speaking for your life, choosing guides and ritualizing reflection. And this is how I've kind of, uh, broken down what me power is and how that relates to what we do actively in our lives, uh, to feel and, to feel empowered and to uplift others that we uh, come into contact with. Mm. And I love that you say that it's, it's a practice because you probably will need to keep practicing it. It's not, it's not something that's culturally encouraged really, is it? <laughs> that you're, mm -mm. you're kind of, you're not culturally encouraged to empower yourself mm -mm. for all sorts of reasons, right? <laughs> it doesn't really serve 
if we all get empowered, we all might be asking different questions and for different things. So I, I love this sense of the practice and I love that you you break it down so it's really clear. Um, I particularly like the ritualising reflection um, and the way in which that, that can sort of feed into the, that feedback loop. Um, but yeah, so maybe tell us a little bit more about, about those kind of those different ways of, of um, practising. Absolutely. So when I think about embracing uh our barriers it's it's uh it's like it is very counterintuitive i think we spend a lot of time um thinking about what's stopping us but not actively just accepting like we oh um for example when i failed uh, my dissertation defense because that's pretty much what it is i hate talking about it like that i mm. even still cringe saying it out loud mm. um because mm. it's just not something that happens i mean it's at that point they should pack up everything and just stop, right? Mm, mm. So that's a major barrier. Like I did not pass that examination. It's an oral examination, but it they reject, they accepted the oral part, but then said you need to rewrite the whole dissertation. Well, yeah, at that point you pack it up, you just throw it, you just go, okay, I'm done, throw in the towel. Um, but really what is underneath that is, hey, wait a second, what is, what is it about this barrier that presents an opportunity that I would not have otherwise? And it took me a good three months to come to that, to answer that question because I had a lot of self-loathing and sadness mm -hmm. and pain because I had never felt anything in my life. Not one thing. Mm -hmm. Isn't that crazy? Like we, no. you know, if you're good at school, uh, yeah. you know, you're going to do well there. And why would you fail? I mean, it's just kind of, you wouldn't be doing it if you, if you had, if you, if you fail in this context, No, exactly. it's not, it's not entrepreneurship. Failure is prized there, but not in education, because if you fail, you fail, you didn't do good enough. Yeah. Right. And that's, I think that's so difficult in the, in the PhD process about failure and not being able to feeling like you can't, um, can't get something wrong. Mm -hmm. um, and also having not had the experience of that before, you kind of fly high all the way through. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. So mm -hmm. I love this sense of kind of seeing the gift, seeing the gift in the barrier. Yeah, it's seeing the gift in the barrier. I love that phraseology because it is a gift in a way. It's, it's, your, it's your opportunity, right? Failure, first attempt and learning this acronym it's true, but there is a gift in that barrier. What is it? What is it for you? How do you move through that? How do you mm. work with it? And then eventually you will uh, conquer it. Uh, so that's, you know, the first way of thinking about this uh, principle and practice. The second one is focusing on your strengths. So one of the things that it's important is to know what those are. But when you have barriers, by the way, you should be looking for barriers everywhere, kind mm -hmm. of, because mm -hmm. it's almost like if you if you expect life to be too easy, it's that's not reality. Mm -hmm. What is this? It's like there, it's academia too. So you know, there's always going to be some problems mm -hmm. waiting mm -hmm. for you on the other mm -hmm. around the other side around yeah. the bend. They're yeah. coming if they haven't had them yet. They're coming for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So well, then, I think also it's, it's it's calling it out as well and recognizing them as barriers, not pathologizing yourself and going I've got a problem with this it's kind of like well so this is there's a barrier here there's a problem here there's something here and it, there's a, it's an opportunity for me to whatever whatever that part 
And that way you then can choose how you're going to engage or not engage with that. How are you going to solve it? Right. It's your choice. And then you can focus on your strengths, which for me, I mean, I think for a lot of us, right. A lot of our listeners, a lot of people in academia is solving problems, looking at it contextually and deconstructing. Okay. Here's the problem, problematizing the situation, being able to deconstruct that problem and then come up with some potential solutions for solving it. Yeah. And that pr- puts you in like a more external, it's like, that's a less emotional kind yes. of process. It's, yes. it's like, Oh, well, let me look at this. And then we can think about it in a meta way of what are my strengths here? Right. If I, if that's one of my strengths, then how can I approach this? Oh, I don't think this is a very funny situation, but Humor is one of my top strengths, according mm-hmm. to some assessments I've taken. So I'm going to be a little tongue in cheek about the process. Also, I need uh, I'm an extrovert. I like people. I love food. So then maybe I add that in. And I had this really beautiful community of friends. I just moved to Washington, D.C. I didn't know very many people and we're big foodies. And so we would get together, make dinner and and invite a bunch of people over this is pre-covid and it was just beautiful to kind of have that fellowshipping nobody was in academia i could kind of step outside of my universe but that was a top strength in helping Mm. me get through that very difficult time right Mm. Mm. and Mm. so you know focusing on your strengths is really really key as you're navigating and also as you're feeling more empowered becoming more empowered over time, because mm-hmm. if we don't use our strengths, then what what do we have? If not mm-hmm. that, we all have mm-hmm. at least one. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Uh, and I know we talked <laughs> like you were saying about the the things that you know the strengths finder as a as something that you can do. You know that, that online quiz that you can do and find out if you if you feel like oh I haven't got any strengths. You, you absolutely have got strengths. I can tell you that. Well, you like you just said, you definitely have got strengths, and you might just want an one of these kind of little external thing that you can have it reflected back to you what your strength is or just ask the people around you as well I suppose can't you absolutely I mean there's a beautiful exercise of asking at least five people who know you well what do they think about yes. who your strengths are and, and oh, that would be nice yes. to have it echo back because when do we ever create space to talk yes. like that to oh. one another yes and how gorgeous to be able to do that for someone else as well isn't it like you say mm-hmm. to be able to oh yes 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 right yeah. so we've got embracing barriers Focusing on strengths, speaking for your life, really expressing yourself and not only in words. And so as the linguist here, I feel like I'm so partial to language and and all of its uses. But I think you can also speak by expressing yourself in a multiplicity of ways. So you can express yourself through dance, through song, through art. Um, by even just being who you truly are in relationship to other people in a grounded, calm, chill way. That too is a form of expression. Mm. And I think if you can speak for your life, what you represent, what you're about, that's a really key part of, of showcasing who you are to the world, but also honoring it in yourself. And that's the key to empowerment. I mean, it's, it's, it's paramount. I love that. I love that. That's so strong, um, isn't it? Just just being yeah. yourself is an expression. Mm. <laughs> oh, man, it's a whole vibe. It's a I whole vibe. <laughs> I love that. I love it. Um, and then, so we've got speaking of your life and then... Choosing your guides. Mm. And I say plural way because um, I think, you know, we're navigating a lot 
we're navigating life. And maybe our parents set us on a path. They bring us into the world. Maybe we don't have parents. Um, and so we're just kind of navigating life. And there are people who are mentors, coaches, friends, uh, support systems, structures, networks for you to tap into. And those things guide you somehow. But we should be intentional about the guides that we have. Mm. And I, uh, I have this beautiful idea of thinking about, you know, who are the, like, I think sometimes we don't think actively about it. We're just like, oh, that's my friend. Oh, that's this. But I, I think it's important to have some champions, some cheerleaders yes. uh, in your corner and to know who those people are. So when you're not um, at your high point, you can go to them and they will, they, they serve a function or a role. I know we don't talk like that about people in our life, but it's true. And I have a few cheerleaders there. My tried and true Aline Jindian is probably my favorite one. Aline, uh, and come I, on, big shout out come to Aline. Come on, Aline. Yeah, big shout out to Aline. Uh, Miss Jindian, my my uh, ninth grade English teacher and my good friend of 25 years now. Oh, Miss Jindian, how brilliant is that? No, I love that. Uh, I love her so much. And, you know, champion. Like, well, I think she'll always be a champion to, of me and for me, to me. And even when I'm not there, it's kind mm. of amazing. Mm. So you need to find you need to know who those people are and really kind of go with them, but they guide you along your journey path. Mm. And there are many people who serve many functions. Not all are champions. Maybe there's a friend who's always pushing you. Who's always challenging you. I have those too. Mm. And that's important, right? Because you don't always want the agreeable ones, you know, (laughs) you know, Mm, mm, mm. absolutely. (laughs) Yes. That person, I think we do. We all need somebody who's going to just kind of go, well, come on then. Yes, yes. I love that. I love that. Having champions and and like you say, being intentional about who's guiding you. Because people will show up to guide you, but you Mm -hmm. might not you might not want that. You might not (laughs) want want that. that You might not want that. I've had that too. You might not want it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so right, intentional. I love it. I and mean, this is my favorite ritualizing reflection. Oh, ritualize that. your reflection. Yes. It starts with the idea that thinking, you know, I am more than enough. Mm. And so where am I? Right? I'm here. Where am I? I'm more than enough. So let me think about how that's true, how maybe that hasn't always been true. And where am I going? And having regular intervals at which you do this kind of reflective practice, but really grounding it in this concept and notion of I am more than enough. So we're always looking for something more. We're always, I think a lot of us are, especially in academia, we're always trying to accomplish something, do this, do that, do the next thing in forward motion. And it's easy to feel like where you're at is not where you want to be. So it's, we need to take a lot of timeouts to reflect on, hey, I'm here, right? Right now. And here I am. I am more than enough. I am Full more stop. than enough. I love that. I love that. That's an episode in itself, isn't it? I am more than enough. More than enough. Oh, thank you so much. That's so much food for thought. Really, really gorgeous. Really gorgeous stuff. Um. I'm aware of time. I am aware of time. And so I'm going to need to, I I could talk for so much longer. I hope we do talk many, many times and more. Um, 
But I, I do, I need to ask you now the unfair question of just of a top tip or some some idea to to take away. And it might be just repeating one of the gorgeous points that you've already made. Yeah, I think one of my favorite top tips is just remember wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whatever you're struggling with, there's always someone you can talk to for free. And as many coaches and as many people offering services and doing this, most of them have uh, opportunities to discuss, to pick their brain in a consultation. Some Mm -hmm. charge, most don't. Mm -hmm. And I just want people to remember that there is always at least one person you can talk to. Yes. Yes. You are not on your own. Mm -mm. You are not on your own. You're really not. That's come through so strongly talking to you, Anisha, about just community and being with other people. I love it. Thank you so, so much. Thank you for your awesomeness and, um, and for taking time to talk to us about this. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm happy to be on the life raft with everybody. Come on, come on in, come on in. (laughs) Um, And thank you all for listening. 